Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national political reporter for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen. I also cover national politics for the Republic. In today's episode, we're updating you on what we know about the developing election results. Election night left the nation and state with some unknowns. This wasn't a result of any voter malfeasance, but instead because of record voter turnout and increased voting by mail. So we're dropping this bonus episode to chat about some of the unknowns on the local, state, and national level. On the national level, we'll talk presidential race and the congressional races. Statewide, we'll chat about Proposition 208. That's the Education Funding Initiative. We'll also talk about the concern over casting ballots with Sharpies and whether those votes were counted. Big spoiler alert, the ballots were counted And the Sharpie conspiracy theory is false. But we'll get into the details. Let's start first with the presidential race. We know that the Associated Press, which is the gold standard traditionally for calling races, and the method that the Arizona Republic uses to call races— that they called the race in Arizona for Democrat Joe Biden. Since that call, the race has tightened with President Trump picking up more votes. That's a trend that he will have to sustain in order to win Arizona. But Ron, where does the race stand nationally? Okay, so we're recording this at about 2 p.m. on Thursday. So there are things that are still moving and changing, but at the moment, Basically, we're all sort of waiting to see what happens in just a handful of places, most notably Pennsylvania, where the president retains a lead, but has seen it continue to dwindle, especially as vote counting turns to Philadelphia, a place that's been very pro-democratic historically. And we're also seeing Nevada continue to be counted as well. This is a state that has uh, a smaller number of votes outstanding, but is also sort of finding a a point where some people, most notably John Ralston in Nevada, the guru of Nevada politics, is now saying he doesn't really think that there's anything uh, that can tip that state back to Donald Trump at this point. So as it stands at the moment, we have Joe Biden having uh, at least 253 electoral votes. He could have Uh, More than that, if you uh, believe in the AP and Fox News call for Arizona, if you also think that Nevada is now out of reach for the president, by some counts, he would already be the president-elect under that scenario. If he doesn't have Nevada in the bag just yet, we are still seeing vote counting proceed in Pennsylvania in a direction that suggests that Joe Biden will eventually take the lead in that state. If that holds up, this race is already over. And there's also the vote counting in Georgia, which continues to move toward Joe Biden. The question is whether there will be enough votes ultimately to take the lead and make it stick, which would also be a pretty uh, 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 difficult development to overcome for the president. So he has a path to victory. It has to include Arizona 
and it has to have some other things happen to get fortunate as well. So, Yvonne, let's talk about pushback for a moment. How are voters reacting to the the lag in getting results and, and how are the campaigns handling all of this as well? Well, when we talk about the campaigns, they are familiar with the process of counting ballots in Arizona. They knew that this was going to be a long, drawn-out process. Doesn't make it any less frustrating, but they expected this. The public, I think, to some extent, did not. And we have been trying to brace people for, you know, very uh, long days ahead, potentially weeks, to determine ultimately who won Arizona. You know, we've seen quite a bit of frustration, particularly from conservatives and supporters of the president who feel as though uh, the longer that this thing draws on, uh, the the more uh, votes are being denied to President Donald Trump. We saw a, a, a large number of protesters gather outside of Maricopa County uh, ballot tabulation site on uh, Wednesday night. They were chanting, they were angry, and, you know, they were demanding that the votes be counted, even as the votes were being counted. And I think there's just deep frustration and a deep lack of understanding about the process and how it works. And to find more on that process, I would direct our listeners to azcentral.com, where we have extensively laid out how long this process could take, what this process looks like, and Arizona's very long history with counting early ballots. So, Ron, what do we know about the votes that still need to be counted? Um, And where might these votes be coming from? Yeah, so this is kind of the million-dollar question at this point for knowing where Arizona is going to wind up in the end. I think the, the best way to think of it is, as you might expect, most of the votes will be in Maricopa County. These are now uh, largely the votes that were uh, dropped off on Election Day. These are the so-called late earlies that are being counted, and as well as the provisional ballots. These are the ones for people who showed up on Election Day and for whatever reason needed to cast a provisional ballot that still needed to have some verification to ultimately be counted. And what we've seen the last couple days uh, since election night is the inclusion of the last bit of early voting. These are the ones that came in at the end. And what we knew going into that is that those votes were running pretty Republican at the end. Democrats dominated early voting uh, at the early part of that, and Republicans significantly closed that gap at the end. Well, those votes have been counted now in the last uh, day, And what we've seen is that that really brought down Joe Biden's margin in Arizona. That's not shocking, but it's it's something that has had to take time to actually confirm. And we're seeing that in the results. These votes that are still left to be counted are the ones that are going to historically run for Democrats. But this year is a little bit different. Democrats tended to vote early in the process. They didn't show up at the polls in in the usual numbers that they would, even uh, by historical standards. And so a little bit less is known about what these late earlies will look like this time compared to the past. I think that there's a sense that these could be pro-Republican, but by much smaller margins than what we saw at the very end of early balloting. 
and with the provisional ballots, I think that those historically have had a small democratic margin to them, but they're, it's such a small population that uh, they could end up running in either direction, but it won't matter significantly because there's just never enough of them. Ron, on Thursday afternoon, President Trump, uh, his campaign held a press conference here in Arizona with Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, uh, Jeff DeWitt, who's the former state treasurer and now works as the chief operating officer of uh, the president's reelection campaign, and Kelly Ward, the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party. What was that about? Yeah, the president's team really just wanted to spell out and reiterate one more time that they still see a path to victory in Arizona for the president. And what they really want to do is emphasize patience and allow this process to uh, allow these votes to be counted in full. And they do have concerns about some of the procedures, things like Sharpie Gate that we'll get into. But um, they they don't want for people to just presume this race is over. So let's talk about the U.S. Senate race and the competitive House races. The last time we spoke, we have established that Democrat Mark Kelly won his bid for the U.S. Senate, meaning he unseated Republican Senator Martha McSally. She has not conceded. Then, with the U.S. House, seven of the nine incumbents were safely reelected, with Congressional District 1 and Congressional District 6 being too close to call. Tell us more on those. Yeah, so I think uh, the way to think of it is that uh, David Schweikert in the 6th District has come from behind to take the lead in that race. There are still votes to be counted but he has a 6,000 vote edge. That's almost two percentage points over Democrat Harold Tipperneni at this point. This is a historically Republican district and it's Republican leaning may be enough to see him through as the last votes are coming in on this. But uh, Harold Tipperneni was well-funded and running against David Schweikert's uh, ethics violations in the House to try and flip a seat that uh, is really always been seen as kind of a reach for Democrats, but she has now lost the lead that she had in early voting and is going to have to win over a lot of Republican voters at the end. That seems like a big ask, but it's still within uh, the range of possibilities. The other race in the first district involves Democrat Tom O'Halloran. He uh, has been in that district now for two terms. It's a pretty evenly divided, uh, relatively older, socially conservative district. And this district went for Donald Trump in 2016 by one percentage point. It's why Republicans have always kind of circled this district as a race that they could win, but they've just never had much luck. And tonight it looks like uh, their luck is still uh, eluding them. The Tiffany Shedd has managed to make this race close, closer than what Tom O'Halloran has had in the past. But ultimately, uh, she is not doing significantly better. And her path to victory is starting to look pretty narrow. She needed to do much better in the southern half of that district. And that's in the Pinal P- Pima County region. And it just hasn't happened. That area is still relatively evenly divided. um, And that means that the northern half of that district is where Tom O'Halloran still has strength um, with tribal voters and with uh, Democrats in Flagstaff, for example, that may be enough to see him through. If both of those results hold up, 
at the end of the day, we'll be looking at all nine of Arizona's incumbent House members will be reelected if that pattern holds. All right. So let's zoom out. Pre-election, Democrats held a majority in the U.S. House and Republicans held the majority in the Senate. Do we think that that will change yet? It seems to me that that path seems to have narrowed, at least in the Senate. Yeah, so you're the expert on the Senate, but it doesn't look like it's been uh, the election that a lot of Democrats bargained for in either chamber. Um, The Senate looks like uh, has not broken for them. It does seem noteworthy, though, that Georgia could have two special elections in January that will determine whether, you know, Democrats still have a chance to control that chamber. In the House, uh, Democrats do know that they will continue to hold the Speaker's gavel in January, though their margins will be smaller, it looks like, than what they had in uh, after the 2018 elections. This has been a real disappointment for Democrats uh, across the country. Uh, as of this morning, anyway, they had not uh, defeated a single incumbent House Republican Uh, That's just astonishing, given that it looks like Joe Biden has the inside track to winning the presidency. And you also have had a number of different races and just situations that unfolded that looked like really good opportunities for Democrats in House races. And they've just kind of taken a big whiff. You think of, for example, Will Hurd in Texas. This is a very uh, Hispanic-leaning, Democratic-leaning district that had uh, a Republican who was just an especially good fit, and he retires, and it looks like that seat is not uh, going to uh, be a pickup for House Democrats. Instead, they will lose that race, and that will continue to uh, frustrate and elude them there. Conservatives are certainly using these results as a warning shot and uh, as a warning to Nancy Pelosi. They are putting her on notice that, uh, you know, she might not be in the Democratic Party, might not be as all powerful as they may think they are. Yeah. And House Democrats are putting Nancy Pelosi on notice as well, that her days as speaker may be numbered. Uh, There is an increasingly vocal element of the Democratic Party that is looking to turn the page on their leadership And after this disappointing showing for Democrats in the House, uh, the Democrats who remain will be uh, wrestling with what is the path forward. And there's this really interesting divide that I know we'll be taking up in in future gaggles that really kind of addresses the unrest among Democrats. You have this sort of liberal wing, the squad led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, really sort of advocating for a more progressive agenda. And they will have, if things go the way they hope, uh, a Biden administration to try and help enact some of their priorities. But they still don't appear to have the Senate that they need. And in any event, the country still seems to be pretty divided politically. It remains to be seen whether the progressive wing of the Democratic Party in the House can push their agenda any more successfully in the Washington we expect to see in January. Can I just say before we wrap up this segment, how very 2020 it is that control of the U.S. Senate could come down to two races in Georgia. Let's turn now to the second ballot measure that voters had to consider. That's Proposition 208. Here to help break down the results for us is education reporter Lily Altavena. Lily, give us a brief breakdown of what the measure is proposing for Arizona taxpayers. 
Sure. So Prop 208 essentially taxes Arizona's highest earners for education, um, specifically for support staff and educator salaries. So it would add a 3.5% tax surcharge on income over 250000 if you're an individual and 500000 if you're a couple. And then that money would be sent primarily for, you know, educator salaries, not just teachers, but counselors, nurses, and then some would go to hiring, retention efforts, some would go to career and technical education programs, um, and some would go to the Arizona Teachers Academy, which waives college tuitions for uh, teachers in training. And do we have a result in this this proposition at this point? So Prop 208 is leading. It's got a, a pretty substantial lead, but we're still, you know, obviously waiting for some votes to come in. Um, its organizers believe that it will win. Um, its opponents believe that, you know, declaring victory is still premature. Um, but it does have a pretty substantial lead more than Joe Biden at this moment. Okay. So if it does pass, when does this start to go into effect? When will this start to affect taxpayers? When does it start to affect educators and and their budgets? So it goes into effect January of 2021, and then that's when they kind of start collecting revenue. Um, but it, it, the revenue collections will take some time, and it, it really wouldn't start to hit educator paychecks until the spring of 2022. So they would have to kind of hold tight for a little bit. Very good. Well, Lily, thanks for your update. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? At Lily Alta. Thank you very much. Starting Wednesday, rumors started to circulate on social media that ballots filled out with Sharpies were being canceled. Here to talk us through that scandal, or not, is reporter Rachel Leingang. Rachel, how did these rumors start and how have people responded to them? There started being some rumblings on social media um, on Tuesday about um, a polling place in Queen Creek where some... some uh, you know, unaffiliated with the official polling station, uh, people had started handing out pens instead of Sharpies, saying that the Sharpies wouldn't work. Um, poll workers at various sites were using Sharpies because the county had done extensive testing to see that the Sharpies were the preferred uh, method. They'd ran tests of their new machines, they'd made sure that they worked, and the Sharpies were the best option um, actually better than ink in this case because the ink could smear onto other ballots or onto um, the, the reader. Um, so it sort of started from there that people were were uh, told to stop handing out pens at, at the ballot plate at the uh, polling place uh, and, and assume that it was something nefarious instantly instead of seeking more information. Those sort of rumors started spreading all through social media and people who had cast ballots with sharpies, which was a lot of folks on both sides of the aisle and on both sides of the aisle, um, started getting concerned that uh, if they use a Sharpie, there was some sort of issue with their ballot. Uh, that is not the case. Uh, your ballot will be counted if it's uh, properly cast and uh, if you are a registered voter in Arizona. Um, and election officials will do everything they can to make sure that all votes are, are counted, just like they always do. So nothing out of the ordinary here, um, you know, just a lot of innuendo. We haven't heard from any people whose uh, votes weren't counted because they used a Sharpie. 
Okay, so one person that we have heard from, though, is the attorney general's office. They are investigating these claims. Is that going to change anything? Uh, And when do we expect to know what, if anything, they have found on this? So the attorney general actually heard back from both uh, Maricopa County uh, through the county attorney and from the secretary of state's office, um, both of whom sought to you know, continue to, to show that the use of Sharpies was normal, was applied evenly, uh, was the best option that the manufacturer had found and uh, was used so that it wouldn't spoil any other ballots uh, or the readers. Um, the attorney general also went on TV uh, this afternoon and essentially said he would take elections officials at their word. He had no evidence to suggest there um, was anything nefarious. And he sort of added that you know, if there was a problem, it would have affected, uh, you know, all voters who voted for, you know, either candidate, uh, not just one. Okay, so let's be explicit here. Just so our listeners are clear, were the ballots that use these kinds of Sharpie pens, were they counted? And what should people say when somebody raises this as an issue? The ballots were counted. If there were any uh, concerns or if there are any concerns, there are several processes in place, all overseen by a bipartisan group of observers and uh, trained elections workers to ensure that ballots with any sort of irregularities are counted. Um, But casting a ballot with a Sharpie was the preferred method of the county. Um, Full stop. Uh, and if there are concerns that people are raising, I always think that if there is a information void, you should fill that with reputable information, not with conspiracy. So everyone should just keep their heads. Okay. Well, thank you for the update, Rachel. Uh, if folks want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? I'm at Rachel Leingang. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E-I-N-G-A-N-G. Okay, so let's transition now to the state-level races. We have Andrew Oxford, who covers the legislature for the Republic here, to discuss what's happening there. Andrew, let's start with the state Senate. How does that look after all the elections to this point? Still a lot of ballots to count, particularly here in Maricopa County, where there are some key races. But so far, I'm not hearing a ton of confidence from Democrats that they're going to flip the Senate the way that they'd hoped. Layla Alston, for example, had been planning on running for Senate president if Democrats won a majority. She told me yesterday she'd back Rebecca Rios, who had also wanted to lead the caucus, uh, given that Minority Leader David Bradley is leaving the legislature. But Senator Rios told me yesterday that if everything stays as it is now, you know, she would expect to be a minority leader, not the Senate president. Uh, at this point, Christine Marsh is leading in her bid to flip a Senate seat in Paradise Valley in North Central Phoenix. Republican Senator Kate Brophy McGee is still trailing there. But otherwise, Democrats you know, really aren't leading uh, and, and Republicans have expanded their leads in a lot of the districts that uh, Democrats had been had been hoping to flip. OK, same question this time for the state house. How does it look in those races to this point? At this point, Judy Schweiber is still leading in her bid to flip a state house seat in the Peoria and Glendale area. Republican Representative Anthony Kern could be ousted there. But again, I'm not seeing Democrats leading in any other of the key districts that they had really been targeting. There are some close races. So uh, keep an eye, for example, on Flagstaff Mayor Coral Evans. She's campaigning to win a House seat in the northern part of the state. 
She's trailing Republican Brenda Barton by just a few hundred votes right now, and Coconino County still has several thousand more ballots to report. We'll get some more results later today. But, uh, you know, Democrats are also at risk of losing a seat in the state house. Representative Geraldine Peaton is trailing Republican challenger Joel John in District 4. You know, that spans from Yuma to the West Valley to Tucson. So, uh, you know, it's very possible that really uh, we have the same sort of 31-29 uh, split in the House that we've had for the last couple of years. Okay. Well, thank you, Andrew, for the update. We'll keep an eye on those races uh, all the way to the finish line, as you will as well. If listeners want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at Andrew B. Oxford. Well, Gaggle listeners, that is all for this week. Thanks so much for listening, as always. We'll be back next week with another episode. If you enjoy our show, consider purchasing a subscription to our website at azcentral.com slash join. You can follow me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And you can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. This week's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez and Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. We'll see you next week.